हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर दर प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन दर डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो If you believe you are not creative nor a creator take a look at your life what you see is what you have created you have had ideas and you have implemented them that is creation from having an idea of what to eat what vacations to take to what job you have it has all followed the same principle idea and implementation it is so simple and comes naturally that most people don't realize that they have the creative power there is something really joyful about seeing an idea come to life for me personally it is a very gratifying experience and that is uplifting and nourishes me as a human being and such is the conversation on our today's episode with vikram damodaran the vice president of technology and innovation at diageo india he is a creator an evangelist of entrepreneurship and innovation who helps drive large scale business initiatives with long term strategic plans he talks about technology innovation and creating an impact professionally and personally this week while we set on a new journey we speak to him on the joy of creation using the principles of designering Hello Vikram welcome to Avantika Designering podcast series it's an honor for us to host you on our show Hi Rohit uh, wish you a very good morning on this uh, beautiful sunday uh, pleasure to be here and uh, a privilege to be invited Thank you so much So as an ice breaker innovation and entrepreneurship have always intrigued you Can you share a new idea or an innovation that has caught your attention and you believe it will be a massive success in the coming times well uh, there is one that's been on the grid for a while rohit uh, it's all about mobility and uh, if you remember the mobility story started off with segway trying to change the way people people actually move around the city especially given the growth of urban cities and urban cultures now unfortunately that didn't take off but the innovation in the space of mobility whether it's point to point travel whether it's uh, hyper travel with hyperloop coming along i think it's been us or even space travel now with tesla so i think uh, there's a ton of opportunity in the mobility space uh, especially from uh, the view of people moving towards a shared economy not wanting to own their own forms of transport so on and so forth now with covid coming in of course uh, the rules have changed and people now want to live in their own bubbles so we'll see how mobility evolves but i think that's something that will really revolutionize uh, how 7 and 1/2 billion people around the world get to get to travel absolutely well said i think a uh, lot of interesting uh, innovations uh, i mean talking close to home ola uber has actually changed the way we commute um, whether we buy today a car or not and and all sorts of uh, things i'm sure that there's going to be a lot of excitement so moving from that ice breaker vikram 
to your journey. You know, from being an entrepreneur to the health tech industry, now in beverages company, absolutely, uh, you know, different sorts of domains. How do you connect dots um, in, in, in terms of working in these different domains? And can you share with our listeners your professional journey from start till now? Happy to, Rohit. And uh, the one phrase that really connects every choice that I've made in my personal journey has been the joy of creation. Uh, it's been something that I've lived with uh, in my growing up years. I grew up as a single child in the family to uh, a father who was a mechanical engineer running his own company. Uh, my mother uh, is a gynecologist, so she was in the medical fraternity. So growing up uh, back in the day, I only had two choices in front of me. You either became an engineer or you became a doctor. But having said that, I did enjoy both streams. Uh, I had uh, the good fortune to be exposed to both streams of uh, work as I was growing up. Uh, for example, uh, we didn't have a nanny at home. So my mother used to take me to the nursing home. Uh, and whenever she was going through a labor and delivery uh, uh, process, I would actually be there, right there, uh, sitting there watching her deliver the baby. So I was comfortable with blood. The nurses used to come and talk to me, explain to me what my mother was doing. And I got really comfortable with the fact that you know, a person being able to give life or save life at the same time seemed to be, you know, something very noble, seemed to be something that uh, really uh, gave me a sense of purpose to what my mom was doing. Having said that, every Sunday used to be a, a jolly ride with my dad on his open top Jeep. He used to have this old Willie's Jeep that he had literally hand built. Uh, I still remember going to uh, different shops over the weekend and this spanned over four years where he would buy engine blocks, he would buy tires, he would buy the wheels, the axle rods, part by part, piece by piece, everything put together. And when this thing was ready, we used to take it out on a ride. And uh, our usual pit stop used to be uh, the factory that my father used to run. And this was a factory that was manufacturing uh, process equipments for chemical plants, so uh, boilers, uh, conveyor systems, pressure vessels. But when he used to take me there, he used to just give me a free run. Uh, we used to have milling machines, turrets, you know, drilling systems, so on and so forth. And he would say, hey, look, go have fun. Uh, if you need help, just ask anybody on the shop floor and they'll be able to help you out. And uh, I really discovered my joy of creation there because I used to build so many things that uh, in many ways were possibly uh, things that were of no relevant use in the practical world, but just gave me the joy of having created something that didn't exist before. And I think that really is what I call the joy of creation. Now, the reason why I gave you this piece of my childhood is because it has an immense bearing in everything that I do. And uh, therefore, uh, at uh, time flew by, I went to Houston to do my master's three months before I completed that degree. I got a call out of the blue from my mother saying my dad had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Uh, she did not know how long he had to live. And uh, I dropped everything that I was doing, came back home because I was the, you know, the only child in the family. I wanted to spend time with dad. Uh, and the three months that I spent with him, I also started running the business in parallel. Uh, and after my dad passed, I realized that I couldn't just uh, let the business be and go back to what I was doing. Uh, there were customer commitments to keep. Uh, there were commitments that had to be honored uh, in terms of field service. So I ran the business for about a year and a half. Uh, learned a lot running that business and I enjoyed it uh, to, to uh, a degree that uh, 
it taught me everything that i needed to about what it meant to deliver to a promise what it meant to manage costs what it meant to manage people what it meant in in forms of uh, investment but a year and a half later uh, something that kept troubling me in my subconscious was well with all the connections that we had in the medical fraternity through my mom and uh, despite all the connections in the entrepreneurial network that we had through my dad we really weren't able to re- do anything uh, when we understood that my uh, dad had pancreatic cancer we we were pretty helpless so something propelled me uh, to do something in the field of healthcare and the answer wasn't obvious i wasn't sure what i was going to do because i i i was a mechanical engineer i specialized in fluid dynamics and now wanting to go back into the healthcare community was a challenge uh, but i i always believe fortune favors the brave and uh, that's when this opportunity to work with ge came along so it's back in 99 uh, all i knew was uh, g medical systems in those days was a company that uh, built medical systems and that's all i needed um, i knew i could put my skills to use uh, join g and then the next 20 years was a sheer adventure of a lifetime started off focusing on uh, devices that were primarily meant for what i would call the western economy uh, where science had evolved healthcare had evolved uh, and that grounding gave me a lot of confidence in then adapting that learning to say what should we do differently in order to mature uh, healthcare delivery in india uh, how can we look at the business ecosystem how can we work with clinicians how can we look at technologies so it gave me a well rounded holistic view so i spent the next 10 years after the first 10 years working on the western economy products spent the next 10 years building out a set of products technologies solutions business services that actually help build a consumer base for healthcare in india and then in countries like india africa southeast asia parts of china latin america and i think uh, after 20 years uh, felt extremely uh, rewarded by that journey and meanwhile uh, while all this was happening uh, about 8 years ago i developed a passion for craft beer and that came about because of a friend that i met here in bangalore who was big time into craft uh, brewing uh, he introduced me to the world of craft beers and hops and hop extracts and hop oils and what it meant to really create flavors in what you consume and and it was then that i understood that beer or any drink for that matter is more about the experience than the drink itself and uh, and that's been a passion of mine so after 20 years in g uh, there was this question again from my subconscious that said well you've done what you could sitting here in india now what about pursuing your next passion that was around brewing and that's how the ajio happened so let me take a pause there rohit so that's been you know a, a high level view of how i've connected the dots between you know my childhood right through to where i am right now but it's always been the joy of creation super that was so uh intriguing that was so exciting to hear that entire journey but before i move to my next question uh vikram what i wish to know is that while you were expressing you meant about flu you know mechanical engineering fluid dynamics manufacturing healthcare and beverages how have you managed to learn unlearn relearn all sorts of aspects uh, of of these domains well uh, that's a great question rohit because uh, you know when this opportunity presented itself um, i think uh, the first 
reaction, if I, I clearly remember the first reaction that I had when this opportunity presented itself was that of fear. And I think fear is a good thing. So if you were to ask me what promotes learning, I think it's the fear of the unknown. I think it's the fear of uncertainty. I think it's, uh, it's about your resilience to get comfortable uh, with being uncomfortable. And I think that's been my primary motivator and driver to keep myself informed of uh, the happenings around me uh, and the ability to adapt comes from from that uh, attitude of wanting to always keep your eyes wide open and looking around the corners. So though I spent 20 years building my career in the healthcare domain uh, and uh, needless to say, when this opportunity presented itself more than anybody else, I had to answer this question for myself saying, hey, look, you are known as a healthcare expert in the industry. Now, what does it mean for you to now become a beverage expert in the industry? Uh, it's a completely different domain. The consumers are different. Uh, the business cycles are very different. Uh, remuneration is very different. Everything is different. Uh, there's not a single stream of commonality. And that's when I realized that the only stream of commonality between the two is really having the fear of the unknown. And if you went into any exercise that you wanted to undertake with that fear of the unknown and therefore wanting to learn to stay afloat, I think it's... Uh, it's something that actually serves me well. Uh, I don't know if it's a recipe that will work for everybody, but uh, certainly has propelled me to learn fast, adapt, and uh, and continue to evolve. Wow, super and and so beautifully expressed. One of the other things from your life, uh, Vikram, is that you are an active blogger. You're writing a book. You mentor entrepreneurs along with your work. The question that I have is, how do you juggle between so many things? What is your method of multitasking? That's again, a, that's again a very interesting question because uh, I've always struggled with, with this phrase called work-life balance, right? You hear it so many times, at least you, we used to hear it a lot before the pandemic struck us. And uh, the one thing that I've always tried to uh, convince myself of is that there is never going to be a balance. There is never going to be a balance between work and life. Uh, it's choices that you make. Uh, I might choose. Uh, like I did today, to spend my Sunday morning with my good old friend Rohit, talking about you know life and career and innovation. But that's a personal choice I had to make. Now, if I were to zoom out from the choice and say, well, should I have just spent the day with my family? I think that question becomes irrelevant when you know that the choice you've made has actually led to a meaningful outcome. A meaningful outcome could be, well, reconnecting with an old friend. A meaningful outcome could be just sharing something that somebody else could benefit from. Or a meaningful outcome could be me learning through the questions you ask me. So each of these things fundamentally have to result in a meaningful outcome. And therefore, when I do whatever I need to do, the choice that I make fundamentally governs where I want to uh, spend my time. To tell you the truth, Rohit, uh, when I uh, look at doing multiple things, I don't see it as multitasking, but it's just a series of things that I like to do. So just like you said, but whether it was about writing a book or whether it's blogging or mentoring entrepreneurs or even uh, spending time on an interview like this or playing golf, it's a personal choice that I make. And uh, there are times when I feel it's, it's it was a good decision to spend time. And there are times when I feel maybe this wasn't the right thing to do today. And it works both ways and you learn again. So if you ask me multitasking, it's more about choice making. Uh, and I think with time and with uh, with experience, you 
kind of learn where to put your time it's almost like learning where to put your money and uh, and if you if you were judicious about where you spend your time i'm sure you'll you'll enjoy life even more thank you so much first of all uh, for honoring this on a sunday morning so moving from that inspirational bit to you been an entrepreneur at g from what uh, seems about your work uh, at diageo it is similar in that phase so what's your view on the culture with indian enterprises that does entrepreneurship in indian uh, context really work uh, let me zoom out and answer that question slightly differently rohit uh, when i look at the word entrepreneurship i didn't hear it until a few years ago uh, it 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 was to me uh, as i grew my career in g it was just a phrase that we used to say take your own initiative just get it done like the nike saying just do it uh, entrepreneurship is pretty much similar to that and uh, i think just like any startup or any entrepreneurial business the one thing that defines whether that culture will uh, you know uh, flourish and grow within the organization is completely dependent on the team it's never an individualistic role uh, you can be an entrepreneur but if the team that you have around you whether it's people who you work with uh, who work for you uh, or who you report to it doesn't matter if that team doesn't really understand the culture of entrepreneurship it's very very difficult for an individual to sustain being an entrepreneur in a large organization because uh, a large organization is like a well oiled machine uh, for you a single part to make a difference in that large well oiled machine uh, is never going to happen until you start slowly greasing you know the parts around you to work the way you want to and uh, therefore entrepreneurship whether it is ge diageo a, a multinational organization or an indian company i think it all comes down to the people and uh, people form the bedrock of the culture that you want to see so i think that's clearly in my mind the most important aspect that i look out for uh, teams uh, stakeholders leadership and uh, the organizational culture and ethos of the people uh, that i work with that defines whether entrepreneurship will scale or not Hey, did you know Diageo has created the world's first ever 100% plastic-free paper-based spirits bottle made entirely from sustainable sourced wood. The bottle will debut with Johnny Walker, the world's number one Scotch whiskey, in early 2021. well said i think life is about finding amazing people around you and and um, it it always works in terms of your personal so the, the 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 question that i have is you come from the world of technology you right now in 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 terms of your domain you also handle uh, or you also manage the innovation side of business the question is how do you blend design at your work since you lead technology and innovation teams at diageo excellent um, again i'm going to go back 25 years uh, in my life and i'm going to tell you a, a tidbit that not many people know about me uh, apart from having been a mechanical engineer i actually had the opportunity to study architecture for 3 months before i i switched to mechanical engineering i actually questioned that decision over and over again but uh, life is what it is 
having said that uh, in g as i started uh, specializing in creating solutions for the non consumption space uh, affordable healthcare for people in countries like india india like markets uh, one thing became obvious is that uh, technology uh, is merely an enabler. Uh, technology is the easiest problem to solve. However complex it is, uh, however expensive it was going to be, you get a bunch of brilliant people in the room, which we as a country are proud to have no dearth of. You will always be able to solve that problem. But what isn't easy and what isn't obvious is the definition of the problem that you want to solve. So if you truly want to know what is that problem that is worth solving for, that when solved for, you will create consumption. It requires a design mentality. And when I say design mentality, it's not just about, you know, how the product or the solution or the service looks and feels and interacts. It's also about the concept of design thinking, the need to show empathy, the need to be able to really wear the shoes of the person for whom you want to solve a problem for and therefore decide how big of a problem it is and therefore decide how good the solution should be, uh, so on and so forth. So, in my mind, uh, design started playing a massive role as uh, we started creating and incubating solutions uh, for the affordable healthcare space. Having let go of my uh, architecture dream, uh, we ended up creating a design studio in G. And this happened about roughly eight years ago. And that played a massive role in terms of clearly honing our ability as engineers and designers together working together uh, helping us define the problem well and therefore starting to uh, look at appropriate solutions that would really deliver meaningful output now if i translate that learning back into the diageo world the diageo world is all about selling experiences um, Unlike the healthcare world where consumption was an issue, uh, not all of us, you know, start consuming healthcare services from, from the day we're born. Um, and there is no, you know, legal consumption age for healthcare. It just happens when it has to happen. But in the case of uh, alcoholic beverages, you're dealing with a legal drinking age. Uh, many people tend to start early. Uh, they start experiencing things early. So when you're dealing with a market that is natively driven by consumption, selling an experience becomes all the more important for you to be able to define what is that next experience that consumers want and that can happen only if you have this mentality of empathy only if you have the ability to really look past the obvious and create a trend that doesn't exist today and i think that's really where what i learned in my past life and what i'm trying to do today actually come together interesting i think uh, you've got a great ability to connect these dots and so beautifully getting expressed in these conversations. So one of the things, Vikram, in, in a conference that you were speaking at, you discussed on frugal and conscious, at the same time, non uh, not frivolous and costly innovation. Can you elaborate on this and share an example of a company which has practiced this? Sure, uh, absolutely. And I uh, let me go back to the very first example of uh, mobility that I gave you because it's a deep-seated uh, following of mine. Um, well, let's take Segway as an example. I think Segway uh, fundamentally identified the problem right. Uh, in my opinion, I think they identified the problem spot on in terms of saying mobility is going to be an issue. And uh, unfortunately, the way they went around solving for it uh, made it exclusive. 
uh, if you looked at uh, what the original purpose of Segway was, was fundamentally moving from point A to point B. And that was the main definition of the problem. But the features it came with, the optionality that users had, the learning curve that it had, the ownership cycle that a Segway owner had to uh, go through uh, maintenance. Uh, it wasn't in a satellite model. There were so many things that uh, were new problems that were created in the process of solving for moving from point A to point B. Whereas on the other hand, if I looked at a solution like Uber or everybody else that it follows that now follows the Uber model of moving from point A to point B, it's the exact opposite. You don't have an asset to own. There is no maintenance costs involved. There is absolutely nothing for you to take care of other than you know calling for a cab, getting in, and, and going to the destination of choice. Now, I think that is a classic example to keep in mind of how the same problem of moving from point A to point B can be handled in two very, very different ways, solving for very, very different problems. And I think uh, that's something that is true for every problem. Now, I'll give you another example. If you were to look at uh, just the world of uh, telephony, uh, we're looking at you know uh, telephones as devices to make a call. Now, if I actually asked uh, a handful of people saying, how many of you actually use the phone for the purpose that it was truly built for versus using that phone to do several other things that you did not know existed today? I think the answer is more of the latter. Uh, in my uh, entire 24 hours, I possibly used a phone to make a call for a cumulative sum of maybe about 15 minutes. Uh, most of it is either on a chat application, uh, a digital wallet, on the internet, uh, so many other things that I, that I still feel productive about, but not really using the phone for what it is today. So I think that's another lens which fundamentally tells us that the problem was to communicate, but then you could also repurpose the solution to serve a whole bunch of communication related problems with just one convergent device. And I think uh, that's, that's again, at the very, very core of truly understanding what the problems are and then making sure that the solution you come up with can find uh, a scalable journey through consumption. And while we are talking about innovation, the theory of disruptive innovation has proved to be a powerful way of thinking about innovation-driven. Despite broad dissemination, the theory's core concepts have been widely misunderstood and its basic tenets frequently uh, misappelled. According to you, what is disruptive innovation and do you think disruption theory is in danger of becoming a victim of its own? That's, uh, that's a fantastic question because I come across uh, you know, this kind of behavior in terms of abusing the phrase disruptive innovation when it's not really meant to be used in the first place. In my mind, um, disruption happens when you create new consumption. Uh, it's a simple way of looking at it. Uh, if you were to increase consumption uh, amongst the same set of people uh, by twofold, I still look at it as incremental innovation. A typical example would be something that costs uh, X now cost x by two you definitely are going to increase consumption uh, because let's say it's a valued solution uh, and it was affordable to a handful of people who are paying the price x now because it's halved you generally create uh, an opportunity for that same solution to be used by a lot more people uh, i i believe that is incremental innovation now disruption on the other hand fundamentally would say fine 
this solution costs X. I could go down the path of reducing cost, maybe adding a few other features that drive consumption. Or I could create something that would totally revolutionize the way people looked at consuming a particular service. And I'll give you an example to make this more tangible. Now, again, I'm going to go back to my favorite example, probably a cliche. Uh, and these are touchscreens. Now, nobody knew what the purpose of touchscreens were when they came out. And so when the first iPad came out, while there were takers for it, and I am a, 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 I would actually use the term rabid. I'm a rabid fam, fan of any new technology that comes out. So I try to get my hands on it just to get a feel for what it does. And I was one of the first few to, you know, uh, get a, get the first generation iPad. And if you remember the ecosystem of uh, Apple during those days, there wasn't really much to do other than the fact that it was a beautiful interface and you just loved staring at that screen. But today, when I look at disruption, uh, which comes from just the fact that you have a touchscreen enabled by an ecosystem of services, that's a completely different level of disruption. This, while Apple was probably the initiator of that disruption, I think companies that use the Android ecosystem that fundamentally created a brand new consumption base at a completely new cost point with services that were far more augmented. And this is one of my favorite topics of debate with, with let's say, an Apple lover, me being an, an Android enthusiast. We always get into these debates. But, but I think that's where disruption happens. With 70% of the world's connectivity devices based on an open platform like Android versus the initiator of innovation uh, about 15 years ago that came from Apple, I think are very, very interesting examples of disruption. One disrupted 15 years ago, the other disrupted maybe 10 years ago when they totally opened up the markets. I think disruption should always be viewed with a lens of consumption. I think that will help us as innovators discern where to put our time, effort and money on. So if you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's, there's a lot to discuss on that question and get into detail. But, uh, you know, from, from the perspective of our listeners, where innovations in sustainable packaging are being discussed in boardrooms of all FMCG companies, Diageo not only launched such a packaging, but it is also collaborating with other companies to promote the same. The question that I have is, what are some of the changes that you see in this ecosystem in the coming days? Yes, and that's a very relevant question, um, especially in these times, fundamentally because uh, when you look at uh, environmental issues, uh, be it water, uh, be it uh, changing uh, climatic demographies around the world, uh, the uh, proliferation of waste uh, in water, so on and so forth. Uh, sustainable packaging fundamentally plays an important role in touching multiple aspects of the Earth's capability to sustain itself. Uh, there are four major vectors that sustainability uh, plays on. Uh, first one is plastic waste. Uh, fundamentally, even if uh, most forms of plastic are recyclable today that are being used in the industry, not all of this recyclable plastic finds its way into a recycling facility. A lot of it does go into landfills and therefore uh, has a detrimental impact on the Earth's environment. The second one is water. Water is a scarce resource. Uh, 
there have been continuous reports that uh, there are cities that are going dry every year and uh, needless to say in india when you look at the next 10 years at least five or six uh, cities big cities including bangalore are supposed to go uh, what a negative in the next 10 years or so and that's a scary thought uh, the third is greenhouse gases which have a massive role to play in just the air you breathe and uh, in the depletion of the ozone layer and such and uh, that fundamentally comes from the amount of heat that you generate and the amount of uh, carbon consumption that you go through so whichever way you look at it uh, there is a role that the fmcg world plays because when you look at our products we use water when you look at our packaging we use plastic and when you look at our manufacturing facilities we use a pretty massive carbon footprint so whichever way you look at it uh, we are massive contributors to the sustainability of uh, this earth and therefore when you look at packaging while packaging plays an important role from multiple aspects you know whether it is protection of uh, what it stores whether it is guaranteeing authenticity originality and the quality of what people consume or whether it just acts as a pure container for transporting goods from point a to point b uh, the idea here is to fundamentally minimize the usage of water, minimize the usage of non-recyclable plastic. And if you're using recyclable plastic, ensure it gets back uh, to a, a recycling site and minimize your carbon footprint. So when you look at sustainable packaging, while news like the form of packaging uh, makes it to the headlines, recently Diageo announced a, a fully pulp-based paper bottle for our flagship brand johnny walker black label and i think that's fantastic news but the real work really goes on in the entire value chain of every ingredient that comes into our supply chain and every finished good that leaves our supply chain so from really uh, rethinking the water facilities uh, desalination facilities or recharging facilities for groundwater or harvesting facilities for water every one of these things actually plays a massive role in the packaged good being delivered on a sustainable basis to the end consumer and therefore when we look at sustainable packaging it's important to look at it from a 360 degree standpoint in terms of what are all the ways in which you can bring sustainability back into this earth's environment as opposed to looking at it just as the output that the consumer interacts with if you can end up with a format that the consumer interacts with which is brilliant and is going to create a wow like the johnny walker paper bottle well we should do it but that's not the only thing that matters. There's a lot that goes behind the science that goes behind sustainability is just as important as the final output that the consumer interacts with. Hey, do you know Diageo India launched a 75 crore raising the bar program committed to supporting bars, pubs and restaurants serving alcohol to welcome customers back and recover following the COVID-19 pandemic. They have also encouraged more than 3.1 million people to take a pledge against drink and drive. Well said. In fact, one of the other things that I see Vikram in, in organizations, and I'm sure uh, that you must also be facing this challenge, and, and that's why my next question is when nothing slows work down like waiting for everyone to agree. How do you convince your team, leaders, stakeholders on the impact of innovation that you are creating 
how can someone build these skills well uh, you've got to earn your stripes rohit uh, you've got to try fail fail again and uh, fundamentally figure it out because the answer is not straightforward um, there are quite a few people in the organization who will never say that you know taking a risk uh, is not something that they're comfortable with they'll always say yes absolutely go take the risk let's build this business case let's try and fail uh, but for them to really cross the lakshman rekha between you know uh, say to do it's a it's a pretty large bridge that needs to be built and uh, so in my view the idea of bridge building is what needs to happen and there's multiple ways in which you can build, build the bridge the most obvious one is to present data because very few people will be able to argue against data that is meaningful if you can show data that says well here are the risks we're taking here is how we've quantified the risk here are the steps we're taking to mitigate it here is where we know we will overcome these risks here is where we know we don't have a chance today but possibly we'll have a chance tomorrow and here is where we have absolutely no clue uh, so to that extent let me at least start the process of getting to through the first two steps and the third step we'll deal with as time comes closer having that conversation with data and evidence to back it up goes a long way it at least opens people's mind it's the first step to building that bridge once you do that a lot of people will defer decisions because they still don't want to sign on the dotted line and that comes through uh, relationship building i believe the relationship that you build with people i think is absolutely important because walking into a large corporate setting uh, very rarely will you have the opportunity to do what you could very easily on the other side of the spectrum that is if you were to you know incubate your own startup team a founding team with like minded people like minded vision a purpose that binds you together it's very very hard to do in a corporate setting where you know each function has its own kpis stakeholders are fundamentally you know standing up to fight for their own kpis and are extremely right in doing so but as somebody who's an innovator you've got to bring uh, these stakeholders together and see where the dots are between the functional kpis that each stakeholder serves and therefore the ability to build a relationship where you can have open conversations meaningful conversation sometimes critical in nature uh, i think is absolutely important openness authenticity is is the next big step so apart from data and evidence openness authenticity relationships is the next big step the last step is you have to really walk the talk and when i say it it's a big mile between say to do there is also a big mile between you know talking and then walking the talk and therefore you as an innovator have to be able to take the first step and uh, you know this being the week of michael jackson's birthday and you know being a big fan it's nothing about uh, really convincing other people but it's about you looking at the man in the mirror like michael jackson says and living up to who you want to be and or like mahatma gandhi says for that example you know be the change you want to see and it's going to be a long and painstaking journey but the rewards are well worth it if you take measured steps uh, if you can start showing small wins you don't really have to go for the jackpot on day 1 but if you can take start taking small steps so that way you'll also fail small a very important to keep in mind as you're going through this journey but take small steps fail small get up again take the next step and repeat this time and again till you till you hit that you know purpose and vision that you want to hit and then you will see that the organization is rallying behind you super very 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 beautifully uh, expressed moving to my next question there's a rise in 
design-driven innovation, where the focus is not to push a new technology, but to push a new meaning. Do you think this through the process will surpass the technology? That's a, that's a great question because, uh, you know, back in my G days, uh, I used to work with a leader who always told me, never put the cart in front of the horse. And uh, it took me a while to understand what he meant, but uh, his simplistic view was, well, technology uh, is, like I said earlier uh, during our chat, Rohit, is the easier problem to solve. And there are times when technology literally creates a new market. Uh, and there are so many examples that we know of. The birth of flight, for example, created literally the, the aviation industry. Uh, so therefore, technology does drive innovation. Technology does drive consumption. Technology does play a massive role in terms of creating new opportunities. Uh, and if you were to now come towards uh, some of the newer examples, genetic engineering uh, for uh, for all you care is possibly going to revolutionize the way we personalize medicine and treat people uh, that probably had no chance of survival until a few years ago. So this there is a lot to, you know, borrow from the advancement of technology. On the other hand, technologies like that come with investments. Technologies like that don't happen every year. Technologies like that uh, require insane amounts of time, patience, uh, money, and uh, the cost of failure increase incredibly high with those kind of technologies. On the other hand, design fundamentally starts with a primary question. What problem are you trying to solve? And uh, if the answer to that question uh, is extremely well-defined in my, in my mind, design fundamentally should help you answer that question in a single phrase. If you cannot get to that single phrase, then, then there is no point going after that solution because what it tells you is that the problem is a lot more complex than you thought it would be. And therefore, the way I look at it, I believe using design and technology hand in hand is an absolutely important thing for businesses to consider because businesses do not have insane amounts of money. Businesses do not have insane amounts of time. What businesses can look forward to is an insane amount of consumption if they brought design and technology together. And that, again, there is no recipe to do this. There are some that do this better than others, but then there is, there is really no set recipe. And the only way you can converge the two is to constantly try and uh, learn from what you, uh, uh, from the journey that you've been on and hone the ability to converge these two streams of thought so that you can be much more adept at prioritization, much more adept at making the right choices of where to invest your time, resources, and effort, and therefore the kind of consumption that you want to see as an outcome. Well said again. In fact, one of the things, since you are a leader in the world of innovation and technology, we keep hearing about the Silicon Valley innovation culture. Now, if we were to build the same in India, what will we have to do for the same? Where do we start? Well, uh, if I were joking with you, uh, Rohit, I would say we should first have a good marketing plan and a communication strategy. You know, the one thing that California does really well or Silicon Valley does really well is storytelling. I think, you know, every book on entrepreneurship fundamentally that is worth its salt is fundamentally come out of Silicon Valley. And uh, whether it is a story of failure, whether it is a story of success, whether it's movies being made about, you know, Steve Jobs and Apple, 
uh, I think the entire world of communication has played a massive role in amplifying what the Silicon Valley culture is all about. And you you have this beautiful season uh, that comes on uh, Hotstar, I think it's called Silicon Valley. I think it's fantastic to watch. But behind all that glitz, glamour and jazz, there is a big world of, you know, uh, perseverance, hardships, uh, trials and tribulations that teams go through, culture that may not be consistent with what you hear in the news that nobody ever hears of. Now, if we were to translate that into what we do here in India, I really don't see a big difference. Look at what, let's say, the Tata's have done. Uh, look at uh, what uh, companies like Godrej have done. Uh, look at what Mahindra has done in the space of EVs. Look at what uh, you know our own space agency has done in the form of Mangalyaan and Chandrayaan. I think there are so many stories to be told about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, government innovation. I think I think marketing and communication should first as a country, as an ecosystem, support the cause of innovation and support the cause of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship and innovation. I think that plays a massive role. Secondly, I think, uh, you know, Silicon Valley is just a place, uh, but in that place is an ecosystem. And that ecosystem is, again, built of like-minded people. So when you go to the uh, likes of Stanford or a Caltech or a JPL or any other place in the valley, you will always find that people talk the same lingo uh, in terms of you know mindsets in terms of ideas in terms of investments in terms of venture capital in terms of failures in terms of being able to you know go after the next big bet now if tesla is capable of talking about sending people to mars do you think people in india are not capable of that dream the answer to that question is no there are people who talk about that dream here too but then where is that ecosystem that supports such people and I think that ecosystem is very nebulous in India. It is slowly beginning to grow. It's been a lot better now than what I saw 15 years ago. But I think there is a mile to go before we actually create that strong ecosystem of like-minded people coming together to harness the power of intellectual capital that we have in the country and the risk-taking capability that we have in our country. So I think that's the second thing. The third thing, which I think is equally important, is there is also this um, notion that I've seen in the venture space, uh, in the startup space, where ideas that germinate in the Silicon Valley quickly find takers in terms of investors in India. This is uh, a norm because when you know that an, an idea has been funded uh, elsewhere in the world, and especially in Silicon Valley, your ability to take a risk and put some risk capital on the same shadow venture, so to speak, yeah, Indianized in many ways, uh, but a shadow venture nevertheless reduces the risk on that risk capital that you're putting in that venture. And I think that is something that we've got to slightly move away from. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. We should because it helps us balance our risks, but we should also promote local origin uh, entrepreneurs looking at local origin problems and local origin solutions that may or may not have a shadow elsewhere in the world. I think if we can slowly but uh, surely start focusing on that and over the next five years, 10 years, create a vast pool of such zero to one ideas as Peter Thiel calls them, you know, vertically disruptive ideas that are of local origin. I think that will revolutionize the way entrepreneurship is seen in this country. Super, super well said. Completely could relate to it as someone who 
successfully failed at building two enterprises. Uh, Vikram, there's so much to talk to you, but there's one final question that we have on our episode, and that is technology is changing at the speed of life, impacting our daily consumption, behavior, and more. At your workplace, you are blending technology and innovation together while we are uh, coaching talent. We are blending the world of design and engineering at our university called as designering. Do you think blending of these approaches is the right philosophy and something that's there to grow in due course? Uh, the shortest answer is yes. Uh, I completely believe uh, that designering as a thought process is fundamental to a business outcome. And like I've uh, said before uh, in this podcast and through through multiple chats that we've had, I think the ability to converge the two thought processes uh, play a massive role in identifying the right problem to solve for. More importantly, I think bringing these two philosophies is a fantastic way to combine left brain right brain you know activity and uh, you know some people are just innately left brain and some people are uh, right brain very few people actually have the toggle switch to say okay today i'm going to do i'm going to do a lot of right brain stuff let me just be you know creative in what i do and and tomorrow let me think about how i translate some of these ideas into things that are more practical viable but Design hearing as a thought process helps bridge this gap, uh, the rift between left brain and right brain, uh, the paucity of people that are equally left and right brain. I think design hearing as a thought process can actually bring structure to the chaos, can actually bring a process minded mentality to bring these two streams together so that people, uh, whether they're engineers or designers, can think, can be creative and can be feasible, scalable, and viable at the same time. And I think that's clearly what will really help uh, problems that need a solution and will really drive consumption in a meaningful manner. Probably I'll say this for the first time, Vikram, but I feel sad that our conversation has to end here. There's so much interesting points that you made, so much to reflect back on, so much to think about. Um, I think it's it's massive learning opportunity for our, all our listeners. And thank you so much for doing this for us. I sincerely appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, share, Rohit. Uh, and uh, another last tidbit about me is if I hadn't become what I am today, I would have probably become a teacher. So uh, this is one way of living my unfulfilled dream. So thanks for doing that. For thank you so much. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.